Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life, so we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at www.christchapelcollege.org and on Instagram at Christ Chapel College. But Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship threatened to break up. Thank you, Esther Kate. <clears throat> we are in the book of Jonah. Um, my name is Ben. I'm one of the young adult pastors. I love that, uh, I, love that I get to do this. Um, and I love that we are getting to preach through uh, the Word of God, uh, specifically why we have somebody to come up and read, because uh, we feel like it's really important that a book like this, and that's so deep, we want to slow down and camp out on. And so, honestly, Josh and I are going to get the privilege of the rest of the semester uh, spending almost all but maybe a couple of weeks in the book of Jonah, which is four chapters, and really going slow and being able to mine it uh, deeply. Um, I'm excited about where we're going this morning. Um, if you got your Bibles, flip to Jonah. We'll have it up on the screen for you. Or if you got your iPhone Bible, uh, open it up. Um, but last week, if you remember, uh, Josh talked about uh, this idea that we see in Jonah uh, in the person of this, this prophet who runs from God. And we see that book also as a mirror uh, that shows us that we are a people who run. And we'll unpack that a little bit more uh, today of what that looks like and what that means. And so today in the verses that Ashley Kate just read, we're going to camp out on this idea and dig deep here in these just two verses in Jonah chapter 1 that there are consequences for our running. Um, I love that I get to preach this sermon. I am living in a world right now where uh, I have a three-year-old son and a six-year-old son, and so I am living in a constant world having a daily, if not hourly, conversation with my boys that there are consequences of the things they do. (laughs) My three-year-old ran over my six-year-old about a month ago. And I should explain that a little bit more. Uh, it was on a four-wheeler. Um, for Christmas, uh, my six-year-old, Charlie, was given a four-wheeler. That's one of those like battery-operated ones. It's got to weigh like 25 pounds. It gets like three miles per hour max, right? It's plastic. It's not an actual four-wheeler, right? Um, but we got it for him, and it was like the big reveal Christmas present. And, you know, he thought he was all done opening presents. And then he opened up the garage door, and there it is. And it's the greatest thing ever. Uh, and, it, and he just putters along in our front yard at two and a half miles an hour and just thinks he he is the man. Uh, and he is, as a six-year-old, he is the man. Um, but he, he got his brother on it, too. And so they were both kind of riding it. And he was letting his three-year-old brother, Miles, ride it some, too. And, uh, and there was a point about a month ago where uh, Miles was, was in the seat, you know, in the driver's seat there. And Charlie, uh, like, hopped off, because normally they ride it together, hopped off to, like, get something. And then Miles discovered the pedal, right? He discovered if he pushes this red pedal, it accelerates at two miles an hour. And he was just thrilled by that. And that wasn't okay with Charlie. And so Charlie ran over there and was like, whoa, whoa, Miles, and got in front of him, right? And put his hands in front of him and said, no, Miles, stop. And I was standing there in the driveway. And I, and I saw my three-year-old, right? He had, the look, he, had, he had the look in his eye. There was like some drool coming out of his mouth. And it, there's his six-year-old brother just directly in front of it, 
you know, bossing them and yelling at them to stop. And, you know, it's not his turn right now. It's still, you know, it's still his turn and, uh, and to, to get off and it's not his turn. And he gassed it a little bit, right? And Charlie just started yelling, man, just started yelling, no, Miles. And Miles looked over at me and I very calmly said, Miles, no. A little bit of gas. Miles, stop. Do not gassed it, totally ran over my oldest six-year-old son who's underneath a 20-pound plastic, eight-volt-powered forerunner, but screaming as if his life is over and he just dramatic as can be. Anybody who knows Charlie, man, I love him. He is the most dramatic kid ever and he's hyperventilating underneath this thing and Miles is just, the back wheels are now spinning over Charlie because he couldn't quite get over the hump of him. And, uh, and, and I, so I go and I lift it off of him. Miles, Charlie says, I'm never playing with the four-wheeler. I'm never talking to my brother again. I'm never going to go outside again, right? Charlie runs inside, and he's scarred for life. And, uh, and so we start saving up for a counselor for him. And then <laughs> immediately, man, uh, I, I sit down, Miles, and he gets a timeout, and he gets a consequence of he's not allowed to ride the four-wheeler until he's four years old, uh, which is in the end of July, right? Which I mean, six months is a, is a lifetime for a three-year-old, right? That is six times his lifetime, right? He's a, that is a huge consequence for him, the fact that he's now no longer allowed to ride the four-wheeler until his, uh, his fourth birthday. <clears throat> I live this, this idea that when you disobey, when you make mistakes, there are consequences for those mistakes. That's the world in which my wife and I live in. Uh, and yet I also see and that is what God's word has for me and is a reminder for me, and I live it in my own heart as well. I am way more articulate and way more savvy than my kids and their disobedience, but my disobedience leads me to run. And when I run, there are consequences. And I have a loving father who this morning says, Ben, when you run, there are consequences of your running. There's consequences of your disobedience. There's consequences of your sin. And so that um, is a sober topic, but it's what God's word has for us this morning. And so I want to reread for you just these two verses we're going to camp out on here. And then I'm going to take you into the New Testament here in a little bit to, to kind of tie in in the book of Romans to some of the consequences we see in verse four. So verses three and four in chapter one, like Ashley Kate read, here's what it says. It says, well, let me set it up. Jonah is given a command. He's given a command to go and share Christ and preach revival to Nineveh, this place he doesn't want to go, to share uh, what God's message is for these people. We see that. The scene is set. But instead of doing it, verse 3 says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And then verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. There Jonah was, called to go and be obedient to the Lord, and he goes the complete opposite direction. Uh, he gets a command and runs in the opposite direction as far as he can get from Nineveh, gets on a boat, whatever it takes to get as far from what God has called him to do as possible. Uh, and he runs. I want to establish real quickly what, what it means to run uh, in this context. What we're talking about is this idea of disobeying God. Uh, we run when we disobey God, when we see what God has called us to do, 
uh, and we run. And there's a couple of ways in which we do that. There's, there's specific and general ways. There's specific ways in which I run from God, and then there's kind of these general ways. A, a specific way um, is going to be um, something like I'm commanded to not be angry and not have an ungodly anger. And yet there are times where I think, you know what? Forget that. I'm upset. I'm entitled to it. I'm going to be angry. Um, I'm called in Scripture to avoid drunkenness. That's something that specifically God has commanded to say, hey, avoid this. And there are times that we look at what God has commanded. And I know in college, I know in college, man, drinking at times and in seasons can feel like just a recreational sport. It's, I know God has commanded this. And whether it's intentional or whether we just make unwise decisions and all of a sudden find out later on down the line, okay, we, we've drank too much, we disobey, we run. We say, okay, this is what God's called me to, but I'm going to run this way. We're called in 1 Corinthians 6 to flee from sexual morality. That's a specific command that God's given us. It's a, hey, flee from this. This isn't good for you. This isn't what I have for you. I have something better for you. And yet, so often in our life, we don't do that. We say, no, I'm going to go where I want to go. I'm going to run from the obedience you've called me, and I'm going to run and do what I want to do. Uh, we're commanded in Colossians chapter 2 to walk in a way worthy of the Lord. Um, man, I have been so convicted in my life of really the specific things, specifically when I think of school, um, and I'm not proud of this at all, uh, but of cheating. Man, I went to public school in South Garland. Anybody from South Garland High School? No? Nope? Okay, cool. Um, I cheated. I mean, like, cheating was just kind of what you did. Like, if you were savvy enough, right? Or if it was an assignment that was like, this is lame, this class is dumb, this is busy work, I'm going to cut corners, I'm going to cheat. And I, and I know that's a disobedient thing. And even through college, right? It wasn't until I got to seminary where I was like, oh, shoot. Yeah, like, this is actually my soul here. And yet we're commanded these things, and yet so often we say, I know this is what God calls me to do, to walk in a worthy uh, manner worthy of him, to have this integrity, but I'm going to run and I'm going to do what I want to do. There's all these specific ways. Of avoiding slothfulness is something we're called to do in Second Thessalonians. And so often we say, man, I earned it. I'm going to binge watch Netflix for an entire weekend. And, and we know God has something better for us or envy and jealousy that we know we're called to run from, and yet so often we run into that. That becomes gossip. All of these ways are specific ways that I felt conviction, that I think we have felt conviction of specific ways in which we run. Uh, we run from the Lord in these specific ways, but also there's these general ways in which we run. God gives us these commands, the one another's, right? He calls us to love one another, calls us to serve one another, uh, to carry each other's burdens in Galatians 6, right? We, we see all of these, um, these commands that are very general that we know God has put before us, and yet we say, no, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and we run from them. Uh, another way to look at it um, is the observation of uh, looking and knowing the difference between sins of omission and sins of commission, right? Sins of commission is this idea of these things that I'm not supposed to do that I do, Right? I'm not supposed to do this, I'm not supposed to do this, I'm not supposed to do this because God has something better and he's created these boundaries because he knows, because he's a loving, gracious father and he says, hey, I want you to walk in this way and there are these sins of commission that, that I get stuck in, that we get stuck in, that we run into but then there's also sins of omission, the things that I'm not doing that God calls me to do. I think so often those are way sneakier and way more damaging in ways. The fact that I'm called to abide in Christ as the foundation of all of the rest of the fruit that my life would produce, I'm called to abide. We're doing a three-week series, like Josh alluded to, on rest on Wednesday nights. 
because it's this command and this design that God gives, and yet I think, well, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. I'm not going to prioritize that. I'm not going to abide and submit my life to Christ because I've got all these other things on my plate. And it's not this, it's not this commission thing that I'm doing wrong. It's just this thing that I stiff arm and I run and I run. When we run, there's consequences. Last week's sermon, I thought Josh did such a good job. And one of the things he uh, put before us was really taking an inventory. And I think that's really important for us to be taking an inventory. And for you, if you say you want to follow Christ, if you say you want to grow, if you're curious about that, taking an inventory of where are the places that you run, right? Where are the places that you run from the Lord? Are they specific areas that you know, man, you've got conviction on? I know these are areas that I know God doesn't want in my life and he's made it clear to me and yet I still keep running away from him and running to them? Or are they kind of more areas of, of omission, things you're not doing, ways that you're not resting in him, all of those, those things, ways you're not loving people well? Um, and, and our motivation for why we run is all over the map, right? Like we, we, might, we might be motivated to, to run um, because of our selfishness, right? I am, um, I, I, marriage for me, I'm married to an unbelievable woman um, and one of the things that um, being married to this incredible, sweet, godly woman has revealed is it's revealed my selfishness uh, over the last 12 and a half years, revealing, man, I want the world to revolve around me. And then all of a sudden raising kids, and kids are the most selfish creatures ever, man. They're so selfish. Everything my kid does, both of them, is just driven by they don't want to eat their vegetables. They want to eat candy. They don't want to take a bath. They want to play more with their toys. They don't want to go down for a nap. All of those things, and yet that is me too. I'm just savvier than they are. Man, there's still selfishness that drives me. I just, I'm just a little savvier of how I ask for it and pursue those things. And so maybe it's selfishness that's a motivation. Maybe it's our lusts that are a motivation to run. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's, honestly, maybe, and I thought Josh touched on this really well last week, maybe it's anger with God. Maybe you're in a season of life where you are frustrated and angry that God could let this happen in your life, that God could let you down, that where you thought he was taking you, he doesn't, what you thought you were going to have and look like and all of those things aren't happening and you feel like you got shortchanged or you feel like you got tricked or you feel like you got the short end of the stick and you're mad at God. And that is a motivation for you to run. And even if that is your motivation, which is, can be a really valid motivation, it's still going to send you into a place where you're going to have consequences. Maybe it's doubt, right? Maybe your motivation is, I don't even know if I believe this anymore. If you run, there's still going to be consequences. Whatever those motivations are that send us, whether it's our selfishness or our doubt or our anger or just our apathy, it's going to send us to a place where we have consequences. Um, running away from the life God has called you, regardless of what those motivations are, will produce those consequences. Verse four, look what happens with Jonah. But the Lord, after he ran, the Lord hurried a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. So here we have Jonah, who is clearly out of the will of God, out of the presence of God. I'm going to do it my way. He thinks he's got good motivation for what it is, goes and gets on this boat, and God brings about a massive storm. We're going to see a layer after layer of consequences of, of Jonah's decision throughout the next four chapters. But here, even in verse four, we see a loving God who says, I'm not going to let my, my people run that far and brings about this massive storm, a storm that's 
threatening to just split this ship apart. Um, consequences for when we run. Now, I want to talk about two different types of consequences that happen. One of them, uh, one of those types of consequences is personal consequences. Um, when we disobey, when we run, there's personal consequences that happen in our life and in my life, certainly, um, whether it's mistakes that we've made and now there's just awkward relationships. And awkward, I think for some of us who know that, man, awkward is a, a kind way of saying just toxic, painful relationships. Um, maybe it's, it's having a reputation that you never expected. Maybe it's um, losing a, a position in an organization or a job. Maybe it's having poor health. Maybe it's, it's all kinds of things, losing friends. There's all these personal consequences that our sin affects us in. I have been doing college and young adult ministry uh, here at Christ Chapel for nine years. <clears throat> and I could tell you story after story after story of college students or young adults who have run and I've watched them run and I've watched waves of consequences crash over their life because of the way they've run. And because of they've run from a God, whatever their motivations were, watched them experience personal consequences relationships that they got into that now walking with uh, ten, nine, 10 years ago, walking with 20 year olds who are now 30 year olds in a marriage that's falling apart because of consequences that they sowed into those relationships 10 years ago. Um, people who are hurting and lonely uh, and experiencing all kinds of grief because of consequences. I could raise my hand in the same way of just realizing there's all kinds of consequences for my sin, our sin, loved ones. It's going to affect us personally. But also, and we see here in verse 4, Jonah's not the only person in the boat. There is collateral consequences because of our sin. Uh, Jonah wasn't the only person experiencing the storm. He's in a boat full of other people. And one of the things I think we fail to, to catch on to at times and we realize way too late is this idea that there are collateral consequences and sin that hurts other people. Other people get swept up when we run, when I run, when I disobey the Lord, when I'm not walking with Jesus deeply the way I'm called to, it affects my wife. Um, Man, if I can be real honest and transparent, last night, uh, I sat up pretty late with my wife. Uh, we just sat around the kitchen island for a while. Uh, I had spent the evening with the boys, and she had to go out and, and do some ministry stuff. And, uh, and she came home, and we just talked about where we were at and kind of the, the state of things. Um, and, man, we just, she just started to weep because there were some ways that I just wasn't leading her spiritually. I wasn't leading my wife in the way I'm leading all these other people spiritually and I'm doing all these other things. And there was just this gap of, of poor leadership where I'm not taking care of myself spiritually. So I'm not leading her and not leading the boys in the way. And we're just kind of surviving. And the weight of that she was feeling and trying to be sensitive to it, but just kind of broke down. And so we're just crying on my island last night at 1130 at night, just grieving that, man, sweetheart, I'm sorry that my selfishness and blinders is affecting her. It's not just affecting me. It's affecting my wife. It's affecting other people. It's affecting, we, there's collateral damage. There's collateral damage when we wander, when we sin, whether it's specific areas of disobedience or general areas of omission, there is um, collateral damage. We've experienced it. Man, we've, we've all experienced it, um, whether it's 
mistakes um, that our parents have made. And they're trying their best, but maybe our parents have made mistakes, and in their mistakes, we've experienced some of the collateral damage of that. Uh, Mistakes that uh, maybe friends have fallen into, and because of that, we've experienced some of the collateral damage of some mistakes and some of the ways that our friends run or relationships that we're in, all of those things, mistakes that other people make have affected us, and it's also true for you. Your sin will affect others. It'll affect your friends. It'll affect your future spouse. It'll affect loved ones. And man, that's hard. This is a hard sermon, right? It's a hard passage of scripture to say, man, this is tough. Sin sucks and it affects us and it affects others and it's not fun. And man, I'm not preaching this and my hope is not that you feel judged by a sermon that talks about the consequences of sin and how it affects us. My hope is that you feel loved and warned from the word of God. And if you sit there and feel judged, and you just sit there, man, and think, man, I hate this. I hate where this is going. I hate how this is making me feel. Then I think the word of God has done what it's supposed to do in the first half of the gospel, which is reveal that there's brokenness that we run towards, and there's consequences of that. Praise God it doesn't stay there. Look at how the gospel erases that debt. Romans 8. I want to take you to Romans 8. Some of you may have heard this verse, and if you haven't, I hope it changes your life right now, or maybe you've heard it a thousand times, but you hear it through the lens of the weight of sin uh, and the reality of sin. And in the reality of sin, we sit there and we don't necessarily feel buried. We shouldn't feel buried if we're in Christ because Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we see very clearly throughout all of Scripture, man, there is sin, there is consequences of our running, and and those affect others, they affect ourselves, and yet in the same word of God, we see and we'll see redemption throughout the book of Jonah. We see this idea that, man, there is also no condemnation. That all of the sin and the consequences we're talking about simultaneously The Apostle Paul says, well, wait, but also if you're in Christ, there isn't condemnation. How do we balance those things? He goes on in verse 2 and he says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit of Christ has set you free from that law that condemns you, that law that just weighs consequences on you. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. And here's the beauty of the gospel. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in Jesus, hanging on a cross, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And that's the gospel. That's why I don't have to feel judged. Instead, I can take the weight of sin, and I could take it to this truth that, well, if I'm in Christ, there is no condemnation. It's why we stand up here week after week after week and, and almost boast about the fact that, man, we're a room full of broken people, and yet God is doing a work, and yet God's grace covers those broken people, and yet God's grace is enough for a room of broken people, and we don't have to fake it, and we don't have to come in here and put on a mask because that's how powerful the grace of God is. Here's what happens, though. So often we use this truth of the gospel as a way to ignore consequences. And we say, well, okay, I don't have 
to worry about my sin, and I don't have to choose not to run because I know the end is God's grace. And we do this really, really dangerous thing where we continue to run and we use the grace of God as a license for us, as a pass for us. And although the weight and death of our sin, if you are in Christ, and only if you're in Christ, is no longer a burden, there are still consequences. Although we might be set free from death, there are still consequences of our mistakes. There's still consequences when we run. And yet so often we use this as a license and say, well, I know there's going to be grace. So my running isn't that big of a deal. My sin isn't that big of a deal because I, I know and I've heard it and there's, there's grace that covers that, which there is, but we use it as a license. Look what Paul says a couple of chapters earlier in Romans 6. He says, in regards to this idea that when sin increases, grace abounds even more and covers all of our sin, he says, what shall we say then in verse 1? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he answers this question, rhetorical question. Okay, so I, I can just continue to sin. I can continue to not really worry about the consequences because Jesus is going to save me and he's going to not condemn me if I've really put my faith in Christ. And so can I continue to sin so that grace may abound? And he says, by no means. And in the Greek, it is as harsh as he could possibly scream, by no means do we live that way. By no means are we designed to live in a way to say, okay, well, I'm just going to apply grace then to everything and just live in sin. He says, by no means. And he asks the, the question back, how can we who die to sin live in it? And he elaborates. Verse three, he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If we live our lives and just claim the grace of God as a, as a get-out-of-hell-free card, claim the grace of God as a license and a pass to live whatever we want and not think that we're going to experience consequences, then we are walking into a trap. And Paul says, how can we live that way? Because to put your faith in Christ is to not show up at church. To put your faith in Christ is not a, a vote for Jesus. To put your faith in Christ, what Paul makes clear throughout Romans, throughout the New Testament and Old Testament, to put your faith in Christ is to no longer be your own, but to be dead to yourself and alive in Christ. Do you not know that all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So we say our life is no longer our own. So if our life is no longer our own and we're now living with Christ, then that means we care about sin. That means we care about fleeing from it. That means we don't want to run from God. It means we want to run to God. We are given newness of life. His grace is sufficient for us. But there's still consequences for our running. And I love you enough to tell you that. The grace of God is powerful. It is healing. It is restorative. As many stories as I've seen in ministry of lives getting wrecked by sin, I have seen a God who can restore anything and anyone and does, and is in the business of doing that. But also, we're commanded to say, be careful. Our running has consequences. So where do we go from here? 
I want to end on just three real practical, what do we do with this? What do we do with this idea of consequences, this balance of God's grace that we are under if we've surrendered our life to Christ, uh, but also still a consequence that we have to be mindful of? Um, three things. One, where do we go from here? We take sin seriously. We've, we've got to take sin seriously. Um, it's why we don't want to shy away from deep, hard passages of Scripture and books of the Bible that maybe make us feel uncomfortable because the first half of the gospel, which is the good news, is the bad news that we need it. The bad news that there is sin. The bad news that sin has consequences. And so my encouragement, my challenge is that you would walk out of here not feeling judged, not feeling picked on, not feeling bullied, but walk out of here knowing that you have a Father who loves you enough to say, if you hit the accelerator, if you make that mistake, there's gonna be a consequence. A heavenly father who loves you enough to say, if you keep running from me, there's gonna be consequences that I don't want you to experience. And so because of that, that should propel us in a response to say, okay, I wanna take sin seriously. And then in doing that, we take a deeper look. We take a deeper look. I thought Josh did a great job last week. If you didn't hear the sermon, um, it's on our podcast. Listen to it. Take an inventory. Take an inventory. Take a deeper look at what sin you might be running into. I know some of you, we know, man. We know our sin is close to us. We are aware of it. It is quick. The Lord is quick to convict us of it, and we know exactly what it is. And some of us, we might sit here and we might kind of nod our head and say, yeah, okay, I need to take sin seriously, but I don't really know what I'm struggling with. Like, I'm not, I'm not out, you know, off the, off the rails. I'm certainly more above average when it comes to kind of godliness and, and moral living. And take a deeper look because of what's at stake, that you would dig deeper, that you wouldn't stay in the shallow, that your, your perspective of comparison isn't just other people, but your perspective of comparison is, Lord, who would you have me be? How would you have me live? Who who do you say I am and who do you say you are and what does that relationship look like? And you would dig deeper and deeper and deeper. Uh, man, that's what, uh, that's what it looks like and that we can dig deeper and be vulnerable in those things because we're not afraid of the consequences because if we're in Christ, there is no condemnation. And so one of the things that that does in my life is um, I have to dig deeper and I have to have other men in my life. Man, I've got men in my life who have to know my junk, have to know what I'm prone to, know where I'm prone to wander. Um, man, I've got to have men holding me accountable in areas that I know I can be easily tempted in and meet with those men and have them speak into my life and have them call me out because I don't have to fake it because I know I'm not condemned by that anymore. And so my digging deeper doesn't have to be digging deeper and, and scared of what I'm going to find, but instead unearthing weeds that I know will take over if I don't do that. You guys live in a really amazing season of your life, man. College is one of the greatest, sweetest times in your life. You, you will grow in ways and have grown in ways that are unprecedented in probably other seasons of your life, right? The growth that happens exponentially between the years 18 and 23 is amazing. It's also a really dangerous season because I think the enemy knows you're gonna grow and wants to grow you crooked and wants to grow you with holes in your foundation. And you're in a season of life where the world tells you this is a bubble. College is a bubble. Man, I've heard so many times the argument of, man, go to college and get sin out of your system. 
You kind of go wild in college so that you can kind of get sin out of your system and you party and you make mistakes in college because when college ends, you kind of go out and go back into the real world and put your adult pants on and all those things. And so college becomes this safe season and yet that is a lie. You're not getting sin out of your system. You are planting seeds in your life that are gonna be there when you're 25 and 35 and 45. And yet you live in this world that is amazing, but it is such a trap when the lie seeks in and says, man, this is just a bubble. And I can live however I want to live here. And this is insulated. It's not. It's incubated. It's incubated in a way where the decisions you make and the way you run from the Lord is going to have consequences. We love you enough to show you in Scripture how dangerous that is. Those consequences that can affect you and can affect others. So dig deep because you know it's at stake. And then finally, use the gospel as an antidote, not a license. Use the gospel as an antidote, not a license, because that's what it is, right? When we, when we unearth our disobedience, I get to take the gospel that says I'm no longer condemned by my sin, and I get to bring that mistake into the light. And I get to confess that, and I get to walk in freedom and victory because I, because I know the grace of God is sufficient for it. And so we use the gospel as an antidote. We don't use the gospel as a license to say, well, I know I'm going to be good. I know grace is going to cover me. The gospel is the most powerful truth. It's what saves us. The fact that we weren't good enough. The fact that we couldn't have done it on our own. The fact that our God came in the person of Jesus Christ and lived a perfect life and died and hung on a cross and took on all of the penalty for all of the ways we run, all of the eternal consequences that we deserve, he took on for those who might say, my life is not my own, it is yours. When I surrender to Christ, and now no longer I have to be afraid of those consequences, but I can chase them down, dig them up, bring them into the light, and run back to a God who's waiting for me. Um, this this passage and this idea of our consequences and our, our running producing consequences, it always reminds me of the prodigal son, this story of a, of a son who ran. He just ran. He took his father's, his portion of the inheritance and ran and squandered it, and there were consequences. But I love where that story ends and lands, that when he got so destitute and tired of running, he came back. And his father was on the porch and his father came off the porch to meet him, to greet him, to wrap him in a robe. That man, I use the grace of God as an antidote, not just a license, but an antidote to say, Lord, would I submit to your grace and would I live in response to how you've loved me? I don't know you. Uh, I mean, I don't know most of you um, and I don't know what you're going through and I don't know what, I believe the Holy Spirit is doing in your life right now. But I'm urging you to not ignore it this morning. Uh, that this morning you wouldn't ignore whatever the Holy Spirit's doing. Uh, this isn't about me. This isn't about songs or sermons. This is about what is the Holy Spirit doing in your life today with his word to reveal, hey, look how you're running. And a loving father and that tug this morning to say, come back to me. Come back to me. I believe you have a father who's calling you back. I believe you have a father who loves you enough to show you where you're running if you'd ask. So I challenge you to do that. And whatever he says, know that that voice is loving. He's offering you grace, so return.
Let me pray over you. Father, thank you for how you love us, God. I don't, like I said, I don't know what is going on in the hearts of my brothers and sisters in this room, but I believe that you are at work because I believe you care about them. I believe you care about them. And so I believe you will continue to reveal that you've never changed, God. We run and we wander, but you don't change. You're this steadfast, gracious Father who calls us back, who loves us enough to say that that mistake is going to hurt. God, would we be kids who listen? And would we be kids who dig deep, your kids who dig deep to listen where you might reveal and then run back to a gracious God? And not just because we're scared of consequences, but because we want more of you. Thank you for how consistently you love us. When we walk out of here this morning, would we um, be aware of that in a fresh way and in a way that produces change in our life for your glory by your spirit in the name of Jesus, amen.